wonderful world and beautiful people. That's what I'm seeing here. This is Global Val here hosting, co- guest hosting sounds from the streets at Mutiny Radio. MutinyRadio.fm, we're in the heart of the Mission District. I'm going to keep rocking you out with a little bit of reggae, but um, please do stay tuned. We have a very special show tonight. We're uh, going to be interviewing Shahid Buttar, who is running for Congress here in San Francisco. He got 80,000 votes against Nancy Pelosi the last time he ran. So we're going to be looking into that campaign that's coming up the uh, primary election. And, of course, we also have Diamond Dave Whitaker, who's going to be part of this conversation. As started uh, was my mutiny radio mentor and friend and co-host for many, many years here for the Common Thread Collective. And then a special guest... Uh, former board of supervisors and uh time and conversation of
was living in a single room with three other individuals. One of them was a male and the other two, well, the other two were females. God only knows what they were up to in there. And furthermore, Susan, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to learn that all four of them habitually smoke marijuana cigarettes. Reefers.
Well, good evening, everyone. Hailing from Mutiny Radio in the Mission District, 21st in Florida. This is Global Val here. It's a really special night here at Mutiny Radio. We have a, it's kind of a one-off. Haven't done the show in a while, thanks to the pandemic. No thanks to the pandemic. Um, and so we're here guest hosting tonight for the Sounds from the Streets podcast at Mutiny Radio. So that's where you'll be able to find this afterwards at mutinyradio.fm. And somewhere along the line, somebody figured out how to make a Mutiny Radio app. Uh, it took us a while, but we finally joined the 21st century. So that's out there, too. I'll leave it to you to find it for yourselves. I know that you can. So tonight, we have a really special show. I'm really excited to be here with all of these guests in our midst. Um, well, we, we gathered. And how am I going to go down this line here? I mean, geez. <laughs> All right, so let's start with how we got here. All right, so Diamond Dave Whitaker and I have been hosting, co-hosting shows here for a decade. Um, of course, he comes out of the KPOO tradition from the 70s. So Diamond Dave is here. 70s, 70s early 70s, KPOO. And we also, so, and then the reason we came down here tonight, one of the reasons is because Shahid Buttar is here. He is running for Congress in San Francisco against Nancy Pelosi. Um, he ran, he's run before and last time actually uh, garnered 80,000 votes of San Franciscans. And so the primary election for that seat is coming up uh, in June. So we've got, we're going to talk to Shahid about um, his campaign. So say hi, Shahid. So, so thrilled to be here, especially with each of you. And then we have a very special guest. We've got Matt Gonzalez here, who is a Good kind man. of a, a progressive, um, you know, legend here in San well, Francisco. Yeah. Uh, ran for, as vice presidential candidate for the Green Party uh, with Ralph Nader. Um, was the president of the Board of Supervisors here in San Francisco. Longtime public defender, chief attorney of the public defender's office. Disclaimer, I also work for the public defender's office here in San Francisco, which is a a mighty, um, a mighty organization. If thank I'm, you if so I... much for your work. Public defenders. Well, thanks, uh, thanks for having me. It's great to be here with all of you. I haven't seen uh, Dave in a bit, so uh, it's been a split second. And Shahid made a very nice dinner for me uh, recently. So if you can get his cooking, you should definitely uh, <laughs> find a way there. <laughs> well, this is amazing. So we're. Go ahead, Dave. You want to give a little intro? Generations together here. We have like three generations. And we talk about the the progressive side of the Democratic Party, which we certainly have in this town, uh, beats the the green and the black of anarchy. So you need a flag. uh, Flag, let's, uh, anybody out there, let's get this man a flag. The green. The Green Party, the Green Spirit, that tradition which goes all the way back now. Who, who, uh, who in your eyes was the founder of the Green, the Green Party? Not just in the sound, but generally. Who first put that idea out of which came a Green Party? Rachel Carson. Rachel Carson. Rachel, if we go far back far enough, and that's but there's this plenty. There's like a ten, ten, um, a ten-year um, separation between Rachel Carson. And what she put out, and what was her book? But that was about Silent the Spring, I believe. Oh, yeah, that's one of them. And uh, put, put out this idea of the green kind of philosophy in a poetic and well-written way. And then, but it took a while, but then, it, then we really had the birth of the Green Party. 
which very quickly became the second party. Um, in fact, uh, we talk about the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. I was, and what do you see the connections there? Green and and and, and uh, what you do in the Democratic Party, well, San Francisco. I would describe myself as an agent of the Democratic Party. I'm sort of mounting a frontal assault on its leadership, okay. and I'm a former Green running as a Democrat in a one-party town. But you're not the only one. There are other candidates in the race, and uh, the others uh, who are beside you, shoulder to shoulder, in this effort to make progressives really progressive. Some of them, I think. There's a, there are Republican candidates as well, so I think they have less progressive inclinations than the rest of us. So we've kind of presented in this town the difference. A Republican in San Francisco is quite a bit different than a Republican in Ohio. It is, though, you know, there are certain elements that connect them. I'd say that San Francisco Republicans are generally more privacy-inclined than their counterparts back east, but the this is one of the unfortunate consequences of our last president— uh, even Republicans here in San Francisco will sing the praises of uh, would-be dictator. Yeah, indeed. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give them too much credit for being too different. Because not. To sing the praises of Trump in this town, San Francisco, is kind of an odd position to take. You're not going to get a lot of friends doing that in San Francisco. Well, the irony is that you can, in this town, get away with actually supporting his policies if you're an oligarch and the Speaker of the House. This is one of the reasons I'm running against Nancy Pelosi, is that despite the theater of supposedly challenging our last president, this city's voice in Washington has done more or less everything possible to pave the path of the right wing. She slow-walked impeachment processes that she affirmatively limited to insulate him from accountability. She funded his concentration camps, his military budgets, expanded his corporate trade authority and his surveillance authority. And that was just the last president. Now, in the time since then, Pelosi's impeded a House vote on universal health care. She's kept the Green New Deal from being developed into legislation. She's spent 35 years not only ducking debates, but filling her pockets at the public's expense, particularly through insider trading. And these are, oh my these are facts of a record that are completely unknown to the city. San Franciscans, if San Franciscan has any idea the way our city well, Which voice. Nancy Pelosi is. They'd be right behind you. Indeed. But they're not right behind you. Nancy Pelosi's district is San Francisco, but out in the suburbs too as well. Isn't that right? No, just, just San Francisco. And it just San Francisco. Yeah, and it doesn't extend all the way, for instance, to Lake Merced. It's just okay, the... Okay, it's the progressive side. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And Matt Gonzalez, looking back, now you're an elder. I'm an elder elder, but you're an elder... When you look at this, and you, when you see this, he had to go right, right to the age. You know, <laughs> the first thing he sees a little uh, silver hair, and he's like, "Okay, go ahead." Well, I know, I know, because we've known each other a long time. I mean, not before they were born, but a long time. And anyway, Matt, well, uh, I want to bring you into it. What do you see as a, with your history, with your history and hipstery, and now landing for quite some time in the public defender's office? You're definitely part and parcel of San Francisco near the steering wheel. Do you see yourself that way? Well, I don't. Uh, I don't. I don't think about that. We're going to think about I, it for I, now. I, I I just think that we're all, you know, those of us who have um, who understand the situation are, uh, you know, try to try to react to it and try to try to forge a different consciousness and a different path. But also bringing to it what, what you have to. What, it's not baggage if you have something to begin. 
Uh, but I've been studying our history when we first knew it. You know what came to me and just now in my mind? Do you remember Quentin Cop? Uh, sure. He's he's still on the uh, west side. Well, because he was always, he was both a Republican, so-called, I think, but also a man who constantly befriended me for sure and constantly would take take a path in his own way. Isn't that right, Quentin? Yeah, he was he was uh, particularly active before I was uh, in politics. I think I think uh, when I was elected, he was a judge in oh, San already. Mateo. So I'm going back even farther. Than yeah, that. yeah. Shoot, you carry that around as you get older. The different generations, like looking at a tree, or seeing the the. Uh, and I was taking you back too far, I think. But Quentin Cop, I mean, board, board of supervisors, you were a young, a young, young whippersnapper then who took a look and decided this is something you would jump into. Tell us about that. Well, it's a long time ago. Well, uh, go back a long time. No, I'm just uh, prefacing my okay, my good, thoughts good. with that. I mean, <clears throat> you know, I think when you when you see something that you don't like and that you don't think has to, you know, be a particular way. Uh, you you consider politics. And I got into politics in 1999 when I ran for district attorney. And my, my you know, I was just looking at these things. I mean, people going to prison for marijuana. Oh we had a three strikes it's law. It's legal now. You know, people going to prison for three strikes, uh, for little auto burglaries. And these are people we knew. When I tell the son of the bottom is women are doing other things, but also it's people we knew. Yeah, there, there was, was overlap. There was a, a death penalty uh, in death San penalty. Francisco, and uh, I remember you know, that, at that time I was I was in my thirties, and I remember thinking, you know, it's just obvious these things shouldn't exist, and I don't want to have to wait my whole life for for things to change. You're already a lawyer. And yeah, and so you have to you have to participate in creating a context and changing the parameters and start trying to share your thoughts with people. And you know, I I was always struck by how many people shared the ideas, but these uh, repressive ideas remained in place. Well, well, people had learned to kind of work around them in their own personal case. So it was hard for them to join the, the, the general, see that you were part of a general struggle as you, people figured their, their own way around them, you know? Yeah, and so, was, so when we look at what has happened to marijuana laws or three strikes or what have you, those things didn't change uh, accidentally. They changed because people stood up and, and many suffered uh, in that struggle and the battles. And I find knew. it very amusing when I see judges or I hear judges talk about how, oh, they never, they never believed in the war on drugs. Well, they, they certainly sent a lot of people to prison uh, during that time. So it's, it's sort of saying... Of the country, they still are. Yeah. So, so they say, so you suspect them that spoken pot at the same time they're sending people to prison. Oh, without a doubt. And I think what we've seen too is there's been kind of a parallel um, you know, forward motion, right? So we we have the the progressive politics, the ideas, the fights to change these things. But then I think on a on a federal level, on a national level, we've seen increasing funding for prisons, for the military, for all of these institutions that cause a lot more harm than they're you know 
purportedly set up to to abate or to to confront. Um, so I, I I love that we're having this conversation here and giving, kind of have this this little bit of an arc of history here of um, because I think people forget or maybe they're not they don't know about how much activism has gone in to make these very important but some You've seemingly Take a look incremental wow. changes. So, so Shahid is kind of in that position that Matt was talking about, right? Seeing things and, and wanting to not just say something, which Shahid, I know you've done for a long time as a peace activist um, and as, as a constitutional attorney as well and scholar. But um, what are some of the things that really pushed you to decide, I'm going to run against Nancy Pelosi, who is considered, right, the most power, quote unquote, the most powerful woman in Washington? Um, and, and, and what would you like to see Going forward. By the way, she's before she's 81 years old now, isn't she? 82, I think. 82, so it's time for her to retire. I, I wouldn't say it's the age of the person, but the age of the ideas. Well, that's also the person. I mean, if you're, I'm 84. So but I you have fresh ideas. Well, I, have, but I, still I would love for you to represent us. That would be a totally different thing. But I right? still have an 84-year-old brain, and she has an 81-year-old brain. So remember, she wants to hold on to it for some reason. But at the same time, there must be powerful forces going to tell her, Nancy, it's time to step aside. <laughs> and the Shahid guy seems to be pretty cool. Do you know her? Do you know her? What's your relationship personally with uh, Nancy Pelosi? Nancy Pelosi's never spoken my name. She wouldn't ever. I mean, I'm a persona non grata. The, the, she has smeared me relentlessly. So you've never really had a conversation with her? She would, she's never returned a phone call, an email. She won't show up to do a debate. What? I think you're giving her more credit than she might deserve to. Well, I just want to find out. I yeah. just want to know from where I'm coming yeah. from. I would love to have an opportunity to, to ask inquiry. her a few questions. Yeah. Inquiry. It's an inquiry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let me just respond let, to Val, yeah, though, if yeah, I can. Let's, yeah, let's, go ahead. Let's have Shahid. So the, I'll tell you the story. The precise moment when I sort of got dragged into running, I might say, was watching Pelosi subvert I think this might have been the sixth or seventh among a series of surveillance reforms that I and my then colleagues at the Electronic Frontier Foundation had been advocating for. And in a fit of what a lawyer would describe as an excited utterance, in no premeditation, I just blurted out, F this noise, it makes me want to quit my job and run against her. And the whole room said, I'd vote for you. And then I was stuck. I'm sorry? Your job, unless you knew that you had some kind of... Uh, uh, coming in. I don't. No, I, I haven't had a paycheck in two years. Well, you look like you're starving. How are you <laughs> living? Do you have a lot of girlfriends? I've, I've, I've <laughs> liquidated my retirement savings, and I make a little money DJing. I, I have a, a monthly gig at Madrone. I play at a retail spot in The Hate. Okay. I basically gave up my career to challenge okay. Pelosi. Right, and you've, been, and you've been running against her now for three... Is it three years? This is the third this cycle. This is the third cycle, right? Yeah. I'll give so, you the, the arc. So yeah, please do. In 2018, I ran. This was the same year that Ocasio-Cortez ran for Congress. We ran at the same time on a similar platform. We won 1,000 more votes than she did in New York. They had a low turnout district. We have a high turnout district. So her 16,000 votes and change, I think, was enough to win the primary there. We won 17 and change. It put me in third place behind the Republican. So I was edged out of the general election in that first cycle. It ended up being spectacularly successful, though we were only in the race for three months, and we beat the rest of the progressive field by a mile, so it sort of cemented our position there. Came back in 2020. We won the jungle primary, so I'm the only Democrat other than Pelosi to have won the primary in the last generation since she won the seat. 
And then we won 81,000 votes in November against her, which was more by far than any challenger she's ever faced in her 35-year career. And more importantly, frankly, than the votes, there were six different issues last year and one already this year where we've managed to change her positions. And that, to me, indicates a victory bigger than the one people think I'm set out for. Like, there's a politics is like an iceberg. There's parts of it that break the water, that are above the waterline. There's parts that are below the waterline. And a lot of people will say to me things like, oh, I wish it went better for you last time. And I, I almost feel like they just have no idea what's underneath the waterline. I'm, so what, I'm a, what has been underneath the waterline? What are, oh, sorry, Dave. Um, what, are, what are some of those um, victories that you're talking about? What are some of those positions that you feel like she's been pushed to um, at, at least verbally uh, accept or uh, think, you know? The two biggest ones from last year were worker rights and the Protecting Right to Organize Act. And civil rights in the face of the predatory policing dynamic that we were just talking about, and that was in the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. Both of those bills had been previously proposed, and she rejected them until she faced another Democrat on the general election ballot for the first time in her career. And then go figure, that was me. And go figure, she started conceding policies. She conceded a bill that ultimately funded the Postal Service. There was a bill that restrained the White House from starting a war at the time in Iran. Uh, there was... Um, each of the impeachment resolutions, she resisted until a great many forces, including our campaign. Well, you have to understand, Dave, she's an oligarch. She doesn't show up to, it's not like I can just call her. <laughs> she's aware of me enough to set up an incentive structure to smear me, yeah. But she never mentions your name. The press never mentions my name. The New York Times had a four-paragraph story in the middle of a story mostly about Bernie Sanders, entirely about Christine Pelosi, Nancy's daughter, calling Bernie Sanders irate because the actress, Susan Sarandon, had endorsed me. And the New York Times manages to sketch this entire saga out without well, mentioning my name. name. Right. Well, and like that's the kind of chicanery that we face. You know, people I think have an illusion that the electoral process and particularly that the media apparatus or even that institutions like Wikipedia or Act Blue are neutral, but every conceivable platform is stacked against us from the broadcast wow. media to the print media or their complete absence. And we that's have even a, without mentioning your name. Well, that was charitable because at least then they were like describing a situation that included me. We have a federal election four weeks from today. Not a single print or broadcast outlet serving San Francisco has mentioned it once. Dude. Well, that's like what well, we here we are. Thank God it's for thank God it's for Mutiny Radio. Indeed, and you can speak freely. So that goes out. You listening? Let me let me just jump in. I mean, I want you to jump in. You know, first of all, I have a lot of respect and admiration for what you're doing, Shahid. I I think, you know, just listening to you talk, it's really it's really quite offensive that um, there is that media blackout and that a candidate. Um, you know, won't, won't debate, won't, won't engage in ideas. Um, and, you know, we, we pride ourselves in this city as being a bastion of liberal thinking and lefty thinking, and, and it's embarrassing, really. Um, but, but here's what happens before you, you get elected. Before you get elected, everyone acts as if you lack legitimacy. Oh, you've never held political office. Uh, uh, we've never, we don't know who you are. Or what makes you think you can do this? heard every one of those things. I heard yeah. all those things before I was elected to the Board of Supervisors. And the moment uh, I was elected, I think just a few months into my term, so this is before I had actually ever done anything 
passed any legislation, done anything, the city attorney retired, Louise Rennie retired, and immediately the newspapers and everybody were wondering, you know, maybe Macanzala should run for city attorney, and they were name, naming other members of the board that were attorneys. And I was like, wait a second, a few months ago, I wasn't even qualified to win this election. Now now we're all friends, apparently. And, and I think that there's this mythology, people buy into this idea of who's allowed to run and who isn't. And the ones that are allowed to run are the ones that have already won elections. And it's just rubbish. I mean, it doesn't correlate at all with talent or skill or intelligence or values. Uh, you know, if we had a handful of um, congresspersons like you, we could really accomplish quite a bit. And I know people are, are quite excited by the squad or this or that. They're not anywhere near progressive enough, frankly. And I think, I think it would, you know, that's why I'm supporting it. And I think others should. You know, don't you agree, Dave? I agree, and uh, now uh, today's the first day of the rest of the life, guys, as you know. And I wonder what the three of us together, uh, brought together with uh, by Val, really magical, what we can do to take this uh, higher, to get behind this brother, to let people know, like Calvin Welch. Calvin, you know, there's a good example of people who have nothing to do with electoral politics, yet they like to be uh, power behind the scenes. Calvin Welch, is that right? Yeah, I haven't seen Calvin in a while. Love that guy. Well, I don't know Calvin, him. but just a thought yeah. on this He's question you should meet. things people can do. Like, you were describing the three of us as spanning generations. Another thing that I'm struck by in this room is the art and politics spectrum, right? Because each of us, Matt's an artist who was very prolific in politics. I was an artist before I became a lawyer. You, Dave, were one of my creative inspirations. I see art as a way for people to get engaged and speak to these issues whether they're inspired by politics so or not. So just to be clear, when he said generations, I think he was including Valerie, because uh, I don't think he meant you or the young one here, okay? I she's was, a poet, so uh, we're, we're all in. the same in. line, so I was trying to put myself uh, in the young I don't try to interpret what Dave says anymore. I just, uh, just go with it. <laughs> Do I just talk gibberish? No, 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 no. I, I just, I just always know that you like, you know, plant a seed and then you kind of grow your own fruit from it. So I'm. You keep it know. organic. Yeah, you keep it organic. Uh, that, that is a thank you. Let's remind everyone. Don't panic. Well, I'll give you the whole thing. There you go. Cast a wide net. Find the common thread. Let life flourish, and then don't panic. Just keep it organic. Does that work for you? Hey, man, it's worked every time. I Classic Diamond Dave right there. <laughs> and then I'd say, of course, and, uh, I have, but to say, well, of course, what I always like to say, too. In fact, this is important enough. You guys can repeat it after me. Guys, I mean multi-gender. Uh, repeat after me. Learn to love. Learn to love. Love to learn. Love to learn. This never ends. This never ends. So get aboard. It's got a, it's a fantastic journey, isn't it? The board, so get on. It's get a aboard. Fantastic it's a fantastic journey. journey. And the love boat. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he's called the love boat. I knew there was a trick. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you be on Chile? We have now say I support this man, Shahid. Even though Nancy Pelosi is a powerful person in this town, but you don't have to care any longer, but you are in the boy, you are in the public defender's office, so that that must be not entirely safe, or is it? 
Well, I just say this. Um, you know, I was saying to Shahid when Paul Wellstone won his U.S. Senate race, the only thing he had run for before that, I think, was Secretary of State or some statewide position. He was teaching at a university in uh, Minnesota, and he lost that race. He decided to run for Senate, and nobody was taking him serious. He'd never held political office. And he started going around and pointing out to people that uh, the incumbent would not debate him. And people were so offended by that that he uh, started to pick up steam and support because that was something fundamentally everybody could understand. It's like, what? Your, your opponent won't even respect you enough to debate you? And it's not as if... Can I edit yeah. that? It's not respecting the opponent. It's the opponent not respecting the voters enough to debate him. That's right. Well, I think of the sign of your success, success in this, the three of us and four, begun with uh, five, uh, uh, is uh, getting together and reaching out to others and the various streams that we know, that, that we know would help get it, whether it be the progressive England Democratic Party, with you and uh, both of you are kind of that, and and uh, how it is we weave this together: the red, the green, and the black. The black for the new generation of anarchists coming along. How can we find that common thread? Mm. I think for the generation of folks who are looking at electoral politi politics as part of the problem, there's a critical recognition that we do have to build dual power, and all of the community organizing tracks from public education direct action, mutual aid, all of it is critical. And if we take our eye off the ball of how institutional power is arrayed, we are completely abdicating a position of profound privilege and letting the rest of the globe be run off a climate cliff. And I don't just mean that as Americans, I mean particularly as San Franciscans. This city's voice plays a critical role in everything from the right-wing attacks on Roe to blocking human rights within the United States, creating an affordable housing crisis across the country. We can't just look at the GOP or red states and try to blame it on them. Dr. King wrote this in the letter from Birmingham jail in a different generation, but very specifically it applies here. Dianne Feinstein bragged about the hearings that put Justice Amy Coney Barrett on the bench as the most proud moments of her career. That's absolutely inexcusable. We're all in the streets marching, and I simply invite San Franciscans to connect the dots between our stated commitments like Black Lives Matter and our votes, which consistently reinforce that we don't actually believe anything that we say. For 35 years, we've been sending an agent of Wall Street and the Pentagon to Washington on behalf of this proud, visionary city. So, Matt, you know, I was putting forth this message, a message which, is, which reminds me of our, of our message way back then, putting forth this message, and now the need, to, the, the idea is a need to, to get them around, to be fully, so that you're fully, uh, fully accepting the fact to get around, to get to all sorts of people, going to the people, because you're going to have to, but, so, because once you speak, because you speak so well, they just haven't heard it, and if they get a chance to hear it, they're going to get behind. And how we weave that together with the present nature of the progressive the Democratic Party in this town, which I don't really know any longer, but I'm sure some of the same people involved. I mean, I just, um, I think 
you know, we need a electorate that's willing to say to Nancy Pelosi, listen, thanks for your service. We appreciate you moving the ball down the field. Uh, We're not going to take away uh, from anything she accomplished, but she's not a really good reflection of what this district ought to have in Congress. And I do think that, you know, you know, I mean, I haven't studied it super closely, but what I've seen on the insider trading stuff and her her um, chastising of the left elements within the party, her, you know, hawkish views and voting history. I mean, you know, I just, I don't know. I, <clears throat> you know, anyone paying attention at all should be able to figure out how to cast a vote, you know? That's, that's exactly it. the irony that's that it. nobody pays attention in yeah. the city. Well, who needs to be allowed to retire gracefully. Well, yeah, I think I think that's a good point, Dave. I think it's the it's the point of coming up. You talk about generations, right? Who is the next generation that has to lead the country right now? In you know, in the Democratic Party in Congress, it's a it's hierarchical based on seniority, right? So even if Nancy Pelosi steps down from House Speaker, the next person in line is only two years younger than her. And I don't want to be ageist about it, but I do like Shahid said. You know, it's not how old you are in years, it's it's your ideas, right? And so I think what we've seen with Nancy Pelosi is she has gotten this pass, right? She's a woman, she's a Democrat, she's from San Francisco. Check, 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 right? It's really easy for people to say, I won't support her, right? Of course, myself, right, as a lifelong native San Franciscan, you know, a woman, feminist, you know, left lean. I don't I try not to define my give myself too many labels. But, you know, to I, I got one of those text messages from her supporters, right? And I wrote back and I was like, sorry, I'm a feminist voting for Shahid. Because time and again... Yeah, send us a screen cap of that. We'll post that. I will. I will. Um, you know, it, because I think what, what we've seen is that the generation in Congress that has gotten progressively older, but most, you know, but more importantly, have, have had so many terms, right? So you become kind of embedded in this machine. And so with Nancy Pelosi, like so many other members of Congress, they've st- they've capitulated along the way um, and continue to do so to corporate interests, right? To private interests above public good. So for example, like the Medicare for all, right? Which she refuses to accept. She's gone, uh, you know, to the um, insurance uh, companies and boards and said, don't worry, I'm not going to support Medicare for all. So, you know, but why, why wouldn't you, right? If you supposedly appreciate and, and want people to have access to health care, then why are you giving money away to, you know, why, why are you, um, you know, with Obamacare, right? The Affordable Care Act. Mm-hmm. So, and I think to, in my memory, um, you know, social political memory, um, I feel like that was a moment that actually when, when Nancy Pelosi kind of pushed that legislation um, really, really hard after Obama had just become president, it pissed off so many people that it actually kind of sp- like the Tea Party came out of that anger, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the, and 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 Obamacare was, you know, it had like the good and the bad and the ugly, right? So the good was that it was taking away uh, insurance companies' ability to not insure people because of pre-existing conditions, which alone is a victory. But then what it did is it it created this system of taxation and punishment for people who couldn't afford the what was supposed to be affordable care and wasn't, 
Um, and has only gone less affordable since. Right. And and it's not comprehensive. And so you have literally these these subsidies, taxpayer subsidies going to fund private insurance companies that aren't necessarily providing people the level of care that people need to have access to. Here in San Francisco, we had Healthy San Francisco, right? That's been around for a long time. But when Obamacare became law of the land, uh, Healthy San Francisco is not considered um, insurance. So anyone who was a citizen like myself, who was on Healthy San Francisco and like saved, you know, which saved me like a quarter million dollars one time, um, was I was kicked off of Healthy San Francisco and I had to go and, you know, navigate this whole thing. And, you know, there's always going to be changing periods, you know, like transitioning and, and working out the kinks of stuff. But but Nancy Pelosi hasn't changed her tack, um, you know, even in these past, you know, 12 years or so to um, understand that people need access to uh, like free and affordable health care when they need it. And we need to stop putting the money towards these private insurance companies who are just taking advantage of, you know, putting everybody in bankruptcy. And even even that's the... Did anyone, it's hard to remember how to do anything. Pickle Verde, she's in Congress, right? She does her roots in San Francisco, afraid it disappeared. I don't know what roots she has in the political activists. Is that right? She has very little. So your job, let's take a break after this. But for your job is to get around, if we can help you get around, to talk to groups, to let them know who you are, and all this is good, but you have to let them know it's not just Nancy Pelosi. It's time to start and listen to the grassroots again. And yes. she hasn't been doing that for a long time. Is that it's right? Been 35 years since she took so, any questions. So it's time for that. And I think that's the message you should bring to people gather, like to gather. Whether it be Democrats, you know, grass, go, go for the grassroots, brother. Absolutely. It's legal now. I might even offer a contrast based on what Matt was saying. You know, one way of contrasting Paul Wellstone's race uh-huh. 20 years ago in Minnesota and ours in San Francisco today is that Minnesotans cared about their incumbent politicians not showing up for work. And San Franciscans, as you know, in Val's words, have been giving Nancy Pelosi a free pass. Well, I'm, I'm from Minnesota. I grew up in Minnesota. I got my political teeth first in Minnesota. And uh, uh, b- b- political teeth, we'll take a break. Okay, got my teeth in Minnesota, and it has the farmer labor tradition was still alive. That whole, you had the Democratic Party kind of weathered it up, and then the farmer labor party. And when they came together, you got a Paul Wellstone. Yeah. Hey, Matt, what's up with you? Let's take a I break. Got, I got to jump, but it's great. Thank you, Valerie, for having me, and great to see you, Shahid. And, and Dave, you're looking good. Is well, I'm feeling pretty good. It's, it's really a delight to see you. Okay, and I, and I think. Thank uh, you so much, Matt, for coming. <clears throat> and and. I think you remember the three of us, and what we can do to support this brother. I mean, the public can support it. Means it would mean a lot if you do that. Support this guy and help uh, find the places to go and speak, because he speaks so well, and he's uh, about to take take care. Of, yeah, absolutely. I'm supporting him, and I urge everyone else to. Yeah. Well, let's get together again, should we? Hey, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Matt, Matt Gonzalez. Matt. Awesome. So glad that you came down. It's a real full circle moment for me. Um, so. Full circle moment. Right? Yeah. Talk about yours. Well, <laughs> I just want to use the microphone. I'm going to see my brother. I'll call it the new left. The left, the new left, and the new, new left. Let's get together. 
Okay, let's take a break. Yeah, okay. we're going to take a break in just a minute. I'm going to play some music in a moment, but I want to I want to finish up this little segment here. Um, so I, I, I think you brought, and Dave raised a good point about the grassroots, right? I feel like the pandemic really, well, I mean, it's pretty definitive, right? It came in and disrupted everything that was going on. Right before the pandemic, we had um, progressive momentum, we the, right? We had Bernie Sanders had rallies with like, you know, tens of thousands of people showing up on cold winter days in the Midwest, right? We had people out in the streets. Shahid, you had, you know, we had events and gatherings and there was so much momentum there that was really, really positive and um, engaging. And then the pandemic came in, you know, and so this is probably where some of the conspiracy theories come in, like, oh, conveniently shutting down a move, like, you know, a political movement too. But that aside, that, that little notion aside, how has it been to, what it, how has it been to organize during this time? And is it, is it coming back? Are people coming back in person? And are there any um, places or ways people can plug into your campaign? So yeah, it has been a, it has been a profound, I think, transition for everyone in lots of different ways. When it, when the pandemic first emerged, it basically meant we couldn't knock on doors anymore, which forced a pretty profound change in our campaign strategy. People have started, I think, adjusting and uh, coming back out again, as, as you put it, and I think it has lessened the impact that, uh, at least in that particular way, the way that the pandemic is most intensely impacting our race is simply by subjecting millions of Americans to medical debt that they should not have to bear. And the idea you were saying before that the Affordable Care Act has been a massive corporate subsidy for health insurance companies for the last decade was a problem even before the pandemic. But when a global pandemic happens, a million Americans end up dead and millions more are indebted for life because we are the only industrialized country in the world that refuses to acknowledge a human right to health care. That becomes, to me, it's not just inexcusable to maybe reiterate a point we made with Matt just a minute ago. You know, the question in my mind is, do San Franciscans care enough about human rights to force a change in our representation? And I understand that many San Franciscans would choose not to look too closely at Washington to understand our complicity. It is a long way away, but unfortunately, well, as far as Washington is away, it's governed as much as by any other single person by San Francisco's particular voice. To broaden it beyond Pelosi, San Francisco has a heavier footprint in Washington, D.C. than any city in the entire United States without a close second. This city of under a million people sent to Washington the Vice President of the United States, the Speaker of the House, a senior U.S. Senator, and we have the Governor of the most populous and prosperous state. This city doesn't even have a million people in it. That's freak-ish. <laughs> Hyper-empowered hyper local party, corrupt AF, oligarchs, people with money falling out of their pockets, just pocketing it for decades in plain sight and here's the kicker with the active complicity of the press. And that's who I want to particularly focus at. I mean, there's a lot of illegitimacies in Pelosi. We could talk all day about oligarchs denying human rights while filling their pockets. And at the end of the day, the only people in a position to hold corrupt politicians accountable are voters. And the only people who can keep them from doing it ultimately are journalists. And they've done a very effective job of that for the last 30 years. And if San Francisco has a chance to understand the facts the reality of the incumbent's history, the alternative that we present, I have absolutely no doubt that there'll be a very profound transition in our voice in Washington this year. Jade, 
You know people in the press, don't you? I know plenty. Good to know. So, 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 so as I'm saying, we're going to take a break now. But it's, so, what the bottom line, the common thread that I see in this is how you, uh, running the race you are, can weave, weave a tapestry with all these other progressive forces, some of whom hardly know your existence and hardly know how close you are to represent what it is they're thinking. Is that right? It's a little more complicated than that, but yeah, more, more or less, yeah. And so um, we, we can take a little musical break, but we'll come back. Um, but people can, can get more information about you and your campaign at shahidforchange.us, um, S-H-A-H-I-D for change.us. Um, and if there are some local events coming up or ways people can show up and, and, and help out, you know, let's let them know now before we take a little musical break. Right on. Every weekend we do mobilizations at 1230. Uh, we had one today in the mission. We've got one tomorrow in the inner sunset. We've got a volunteer meetup next Wednesday night at Madrone at Divisadero and Fell. And we have a special event on Sunday the 22nd Four to six at the William Westerfeld House overlooking Alamo Square. And I'm looking super forward to that. We're going to hear about the history of the countercultures in the city. And it occurs to me, I really want to get you there, Dave. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Okay. Get me there. That's right. Get <laughs> right me on. there and I'm there. All right. Let's make it happen. All right. All right. Okay. And everybody got here to Mutiny Radio here in the Mission District this evening. I'm so happy to be here having this conversation all right. with all of you. We're, please stick around. We're going to continue this conversation. We're going to bring more voices in. It's only 7 o'clock. We've got open mic if you want to come and do some poetry or some music, some acoustic music. Um, talk a little bit more about politics, news, views, peace, poetry. We're all for it. And I'm going to play you some music for educational purposes only. Nine to sixty. Peace 
conversation here at mutiny radio sounds from the streets podcast really excited to be here i'm global val i'm here with diamond dave i'm here with shahid and we do have other friends here who are going to be performing and sharing thoughts music and poetry very very soon um but let's get back to this for the moment because i know we want to do a, get a few more things um out there so out there uh well, let people know where we are if they want to come down and get this glorious open mic what's going on right now and want to be part of it, just come on by. That's right. We're at the corner of 21st and Florida Streets right here in the Mission District. So Perfect. We'll be here till, well, and we'll be here for a while. Uh, come on down. Um, we've got this uh, podcast running until 8, and then but we have the time afterwards where we go into the territory of lost tracks. So if you want to be live on the radio and never be able to find it again, Coming after eight o'clock. Um, anyhow, you well, never know. You find it, uh, of course, you'll find it. But here we are. We're sitting here. We've got Shahid Buttar. We 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 started with this conversation with with Diamond Dave and with Matt Gonzalez, and we kind of like dove right into a lot of the the political aspects of of um, kind of the political landscape of uh, Nancy Pelosi having been our representative in Congress for the past thirty four thirty five thirty five years. Um, but I wanted to back up and, um, because we didn't really get to, if folks out there don't know you, Shahid, um, uh, let's do a little bit more of the background of, uh, you know, where you're coming from, what you're, what you've been doing in your career. Um, and, and I know that you've, you've, you've been in politics in, in, in a way for a long time. Um, so let's, let's take a step back and so you can kind of introduce yourself a little bit more to people. Right on. Uh, I'm an immigrant. I came to the Bay Area in 2000 to go to law school at Stanford. I spent half of the time since then in Washington fighting the right wing and half of it here in San Francisco building a series of nonprofits. Uh, my first work in Washington, I had a chance to help bring the struggle for marriage equality for LGBTQ couples to the East Coast. Uh, I've helped fight and win the last successful uh, federal defense of campaign re finance reform before the Citizens United decision destroyed that phase of my career. So I fought to keep money out of politics. I fought to establish LGBTQ rights, spent the next decade putting in place the first enforceable restrictions on the surveillance state. They're in place at the, at the local level, not yet the federal level, in jurisdictions across the country from Cambridge, Massachusetts to right here in San Francisco. Incidentally, our mayor is currently leading a counterattack on the oversight and transparency provisions that we passed in 2019. And having worked at the American Constitution Society and Muslim Advocates and the Bill of Rights Defense Committee and the Electronic Frontier Foundation, I ran for Congress precisely because Pelosi has never shown up for any of the demands of any of those organizations or any of those movements. This is someone who consistently has supported Republican policies as a leader of the Democratic Party. And you know, ultimately, I'm running as an act of intergenerational and international solidarity with the people ground under the heels of our military industrial extraction 
you know, species extinction complex. And I, I'm often reminded how many of our problems that we're grappling with today are just a reflection of our failure to deal with them in the past, right? The climate crisis has been known for decades and Washington has done a big fat job of nothing. And here we are. And, you know, similarly, the, how long has it been going on? Uh, 70 years that we've been invading democracies at the drop of a hat to steal their oil and resources. And so go figure, now there's a climate crisis. And meanwhile, this city, the birthplace of the UN, the place where I was radicalized and socialized into the peace movement, this city has been sending someone to Washington who's been voting for every proposed military spending increase in the last two generations. Right. Well, ultimately, that's our job is to bring it back. Okay. Well, let's say right. today with, with voting, and the the primary election is on June seventh. So, if you're a San Francisco voter, make sure that you come out. I know primary elections are, you know, they throw people off. Like, what are we voting for this time? You you should have your your voter guide in the mail. If you don't, look it up online. The SF Department of Elections will have all this information. But June seventh is the primary election for this congressional seat and so you can come out and you can vote for Shahid and just like last time if it, to get him past the primary so that when the general election happens in November we're not just going to get that 81,000 votes we're going to get enough to you know be you know hopefully unseat Nancy Pelosi and in the meantime as we're pushing her out of her seat we get to push her on policy and once I'm through the primary it gives the progressive movement the longest lever in federal policy. As a challenger to the Speaker of the House, every time that we got her to change positions, it wasn't just one vote in a body of 435 people. Every time we got Pelosi to change positions, it flipped the entire House of Representatives. That's the opportunity that our race offers, not just San Francisco, but the entire United States. We, I think everybody's increasingly aware of the corporate corruption of the Democratic Party. This is a critical point of accountability to hold a crucial actor in that system accountable. And, and hopefully we can uh, get you, I mean, I think, the, the, to me, the answer for this is to get you around so people can see you, can hear you, have some idea of who you are. Now, one of the discussion I have, the primary is going to be Nancy Pelosi and you, is that right? It's it's the two of us with other candidates. There's, oh, the other, where's yeah. the other candidates? There's a, a candidate by the name of uh, John Dennis, who's running as a Republican. There's a candidate by the name of Bianca Von Krieg and a candidate by the name of Jeffrey Phillips. And I believe there, there might be another Republican okay. um, who I think might have dropped out of the race, but I think still appears in the ballot guide. Uh, so you're the same, whether it's Republican or Democrat or Independent, you're in the same race, is what you're saying. Yeah, it's a jungle primary. So jungle, we, that's what jungle means. Yeah. I get it. So I we're all running against jungle. each other in the jungle. top two. Okay, so yeah, do you know them? Have you gotten to know them? You haven't been, I've gotten to know them. One of the other candidates who was in the race, his name's Eric Curry, recently withdrew and endorsed us, and he's one of our surrogates, and I'm very grateful for Eric's support. And it's a reflection, I think, of the awareness across at least the voices on the left edge of that spectrum. Well, we're all on the left in this case. So the others, you've talked to them, you know them. Is there any talk about having several good candidates and that you guys should support one another and figure out ways of getting all your names out there? Together? I think it'll all happen after the primary. I look forward to having their support. Well, let's make it happen. We got a month. And so I think that's hopefully we can, every couple of weeks, we can get together with Matt. And whoever sounds appropriate 
get together here on Mutiny Radio and cut, cut, cut it up in the way we are and see where we go from there. I would love to do it. It sounds great to me. Anytime. Let's do it. Let's make a time. Anytime can be no time. Can we, Bell, can you help us get a time? Maybe, maybe, maybe this time on Saturdays here every other week? Quite possibly. We'll look into it. We'll work it out. Okay. Yeah, I'd love to be able to do at least one more show before. Um, well, I guess this, well, uh, well, we'll work it out. It, I want to just, if I can, reflect on this week's events. Yes, <clears throat> and please. And Pelosi and Roe, if I can. Yes. So there was an, a March today that we stumbled across, and there was an early, earlier ones that, earlier this week, and then the very same day, the millions of us were driven into the street to defend the reproductive rights of women, of girls, of non-binary and trans folks. Nancy Pelosi was in Texas raising money for an anti-choice conservative Democrat named Henry Cuellar, who's facing a challenge from a progressive woman, Jessica Cisneros. This is the very same figure who had two different terms as the Speaker of the House when she could have codified Roe and declined to do so and is now sending fundraising emails claiming that electing more Democrats is going to help. And the sheer hypocrisy of someone who is allowed by this party, who, who has co-opted this party, and claiming principles that she actively undermines. There was a moment two years ago when Trump was in the White House and Justice, now Justice Amy Coney Barrett was nominated before she was confirmed, when Pelosi could have blocked her nomination hearings in the same way that the GOP did with Merrick Garland, and she declined. And then Dianne Feinstein, also from this city of under a million people, chairing those confirmation hearings, described them as the proudest moment of her career. And it was Feinstein who did for Justice Barrett what President Biden, as a senator, did for Clarence Thomas. How are all these Republican justices finding their way to the Supreme Court with the support of Democratic senators? Right. For generations. For generations. For generations. Right. It's never been back here. You're down here in the grassroots. Here we are Radio Mutiny, you're in the grassroots. And how do we get to, I mean, what you say is obviously true. Now we have to get it out to people. The first step of that, that is just everybody you, talking to each other. It's finding the common thread. Let's do like that. You say. Yeah. Hey, about it. Hey. And I think let's do that. We got Matt and whoever. I'd like to see the other candidates. Maybe our next, our next meeting we have here. You invite the other candidates. Will you do that? There's actually an, an active invitation now uh, from a supporter for a model called an empathy circle, and we're trying to get Pelosi to participate. She's yeah. been scared of debate, so the idea is, okay, let's not debate. Let's just listen to each other, and we're going to practice active listening. And it's an invitation for everybody to, rather than counter each other's ideas to speak them back to each other until the first person who is speaking them is satisfied with the rearticulation. And it seems like a wow. fascinating model. You know, if Nancy's scared of adversarial settings where she's going to get called out. Well, well, so we're just contriving a process here where she can just say what she wants and we'll just speak it back, just trying to get her to show up at a minimum. And they, of course, her office has not responded to that right. invitation. Either. Well, it's like, it's like Matt said, you know, the, the whole notion of having a representative a government of, of, you know, a representative in government who refuses to debate. Right. And so, you know, if you refuse to debate, it looks like you don't even have confidence in your own ideas, you know, and, and let alone the, the, uh, the, you know, like the self-confidence and, and this, uh, and the foundation of principles that you're not willing to actually be challenged um, at all. And I think, it, I think it is disrespectful to the public. I think it is kind of disgraceful to um, the notion of democracy, which I know, you know, which she 
you know, touts all the time while still giving the military industrial complex of this, you know, the, the diff- <laughs> 700, 750, 800 B billion dollars a year. While meanwhile, you know, San Fran- $20 billion would solve homelessness in this country. Right. And, and, and that's the thing. I think the thing, you know, that's the, we're, you're saying, you know, in San Francisco, we're not paying attention to is that we have someone who, you know, Nancy Pelosi, who has a personal, you know, net worth of over a hundred million dollars and has been the representative of San Francisco, which has seen one of the largest growth, um, wealth disparities, you know, gap just for like getting bigger and bigger and bigger and impacting every single person in the city one way or another. And is completely a bunch who don't even live here anymore because they got pushed out, right? Right, and 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 that is a that is another you know tactic that you can say right gentrification. It pushes out the culture. It pushes out the grassroots people, the artists who actually want to you know improve our situations, do things that are going to be more humanitarian, um, and 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 get away from that you know that I I call it the corporate captured two party system, um, and I know that you're running as a Democrat, but almost, I mean, we see with even Matt Gonzalez, right? Running as a third party candidate, it's like nobody takes you seriously. Running for the first time or never having held office before, people don't take you seriously until you get there, right? It's a really high climb, but I do appreciate that you're looking at it as a, in a holistic way as how can we push the agenda as opposed to not, you know, just like trying to, you know, be you in that position. Right, right, it's policies before personality. Policies. So under, under this flag of the red, the green and the black, and in a metaphorical sense, think about the various folks out here who you can approach, you can let people know what you're about, that you're speaking for them and with them and around them. And so I associate, we shook hands, let's do that. Let's try to figure out what, how we can make this, this bi-weekly show, I hope you get this for Saturday, about this hour would be good, and bring like the other people running. But since the next one will be the other people, uh, not Nancy, but the other ones who are running. I would love to get Nancy here. Let's let's start. Well, with we're her. not going to get Nancy. Let's get the. Uh, I'll invite her. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> hey, Nancy, you want to come on a, a women uh, feminist uh, talk show? Well, let's get more women. I, I'm already. You know, it's funny because. Uh, I, I was joking earlier because, you know, Matt Gonzalez was here and now I work for Matt Gonzalez and, you know, he hired me and uh, I, I said like the mutiny radio was my resume, you know? Um, so anything's possible is, is my point. <laughs> I felt that way when I was cooking him dinner, I was fangirling like, I, you know, Matt's campaign for mayor and back in 2003 was the first one in this city that I had a chance to volunteer for. And so his endorsement to me, uh, Matt Gonzalez. When Matt ran for mayor mayor. and almost beat Gavin Newsom. And And, and so his endorsement to me is just, it's, I feel very deeply honored by that. It's an inspiration. Should we get him involved more in your campaign? Bring others on who he knows and you know and so on on. So let's use this bi-weekly show. For the next one, I want you to, I would hope you invite the other people running and and not thinking, so you're not thinking of them as a, that you guys are... We're allies in the race. Exactly. We're going to make it out. Doing more go. together than any of us can do on our own. So, Val, can you help make that happen? Well, I'm sure it's possible, yeah. I'm, well, sure, we can, I'm sure we can get together 
you know, and make make more space here at Mutiny Radio, okay. which is what's so great about Mutiny Radio is that, you know, this is got kind of a community collective space. Um, I want to thank Pam Benjamin for, you know, making space for us tonight and and kind of hold, holding down the fort or steering this crazy pirate ship of Mutiny Radio. Um, we're one of the last kind of bastions of free speech and art here in the, you know, the gentrifying um, mission district. Um, you know, this place has been here uh, in some way, shape or form as a radio station since 2007, I believe. Um, so it's a really special place. And it's always been a, sp- a space for community, for listening to one another, you know, and, and I think one of the things that, that makes me so upset uh, is when we're not listening when people don't want to listen, but they want to, they want to complain, but they don't want to listen. You know, I, th- I see that in, in our, um, right. The, the part of the June election here in San Francisco, you know, is the effort to try to recall Chase the Boudin, um, which is, you know, funded by, uh, you know, people who, for example, um, you know, like tech bros is what I'm calling them, um, who want to fund the campaign to recall him. But at the same time, preemptively blocks pe- block people from engaging in discourse on social media. I'm blocked by some guy I never even heard of until somebody told me and I went on and it turns out I'm blocked, right? So it's like, so, so you want to come, you want to like have a voice in politics in San Francisco. You want to throw your money at politics in San Francisco, but you don't actually want to have the conversation. I'm completely disgusted and, and distrustful of anyone who's not willing to talk. It reminds me of Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> Hang on, Dave. It's about us getting together, using the station. I think KPO, KPU, which I have started, would be another one to get connected with. KPU, if you get KPU and Ms. Mutant Radio, you got a good start. I'm looking and forward to connecting with them too. We can make that happen. All right. So I want to I want to shift this a little bit here, um, and it's you know it's all keeping it organic. Um, on the line, and then we're going to have our open mic portion. On the line, we have um, our friend Mona Lisa Wallace, um, who is an attorney and who is uh, been fo- following, um, you know, as a feminist. Um, you can find her Green Feminist is is her handle, um, and I've invited Mona Lisa on here. She has been a longtime mentor for me as well in action and activism. Um, so this is really a great um, conversation we're all able to have here. But be, given the week we've had um, with uh, the leak of the Supreme Court um, draft decision uh, about Roe v. Wade trying to strip um, reproductive rights away from women, um, I wanted Mona Lisa to come in and, and talk a little bit about this because I know that she is a scholar of these matters and, and an activist as well. So Mona Lisa, thank you. Mona Lisa Wallace, welcome to the show. Oh, oh, thank you, Val. Happy so, Mother's Day to everybody out there who has a mother, which is every of us, right? It's true. It's true. So... It, it, yeah, in, I just it's an interesting mothers, time. And I think that it's so important. Oh, yeah. I, I, I just want to celebrate mothers. And, you know, one of the things I, I think is really exciting about you, I, I, I just, I'm so proud that you would honor me as being a mentor for you. But, you know, I would say as being a bunch of years older than you, Val, like, it's just a neat thing about how we're learning as feminists in the world that 
pronatalism isn't necessarily the right way to go and that we all as individuals, whatever our gender, can choose when we're ready to parent. And I see that the generations change in between my generation and your generation that right now, I think they say the average age for birthing is 30 years old. And so we really are becoming a, a, a world where um, choosing to parent is an intentional process that we can do right. We can do it when we're ready and we, we're, you know, not that anyone really is ready, but, you know, we can do our best. And it's really important for us to honor that and on Mother's Day and, and know that the mothers out there, most of the people who are getting abortions out there, they probably are going to have a baby later if they want one or already have a family and they're, you know, making smart choices for their own health and for their own economic um, possibilities. So we, we really need to address these very, very critical human rights needs for all women and girls out there that they have the right to choose when they're ready and if they ever want to birth. And we're in a really rough time here in the United States where we don't know if it's really true that, that the Supreme Court's going to eviscerate Roe v. Wade, although the I think the legal community has been expecting that for quite some time. Um, I, you know, I want to remind everyone, women in the United States do not have equal rights in the Constitution um, until we have an equal rights amendment passed. We will continue to be suffering from what what's often referred to as um, Jane Crow laws, similar to the Jim Crow laws, where it, um, it it's not that women necessarily are being prohibited from accessing health care, which means like fundamental things like abortion, but they are um, forced to go through tiny hoops like, oh, you have to have a probe first. You have to wait first. You have to go have these meetings. Um, the recent um, Supreme Court risk is that there are many states out there that have laws waiting for Roe v. Wade to, to go under so that they can immediately illegalize, even criminalize abortion. So that would mean that many women will have to travel as much as 500 miles to be able to access an abortion. And as we know, we have 10,000 or more children under 12 who are impregnated every year in the United States. And if they don't have access to safe and legal abortion, their, their fates are, are really, really in danger. Um, we, we have a, a, a crisis right now 
there are, I, I know there's a, a huge TikTok um, thing going on where people are saying, hey, let's do a week-long strike starting on Mother's Day and not work. Um, I think that could could actually have really strong um, repercussions for corporate America. Yeah. Um, we are are still stuck. I just want to don't want to ramble on, but we're, we're we're really stuck still in this situation where these corporations, including like the Catholic Church, and so I would look to um, Catholics for Choice dot org or sistersong.net to look to how women are actually trying to, within their own communities, do something together to fight for reproductive justice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, yeah. So I wanted to interrupt here, or interject, not interrupt, oh, yeah. um, but we do, so I'm sitting here with Diamond Davis and, and with Shahid um Buttar, and and I know that um, I think Shahid has a question because both of you are actually Stan, Stanford alums um, of Stanford Law, and um, you know, following you know constitutional rights and privacy rules uh, rights and all that stuff. So, um, Shahid, what's your question for Mona Lisa? Yeah, Mona Lisa, thank you for your analysis. Just a question for you. You were describing how many red states are passing laws that would basically be uncontestable if a were to be struck down. Do you see there being, and, and you talked about the opportunity for, uh, you know, maybe a strike as a means to try to avert the court ultimately ruling in line with the leaked draft opinion. Do you see any opportunity for blue states threatening boycotts of red states should Roe fall, presenting the kind of economic threat that might compel actors in Washington, you know, whether or not the justices are supposed to be, you know, exposed to political pressure. Do you see that kind of track offering an opportunity to compel some attention in Washington to the otherwise overlooked justice and liberty and bodily autonomy issues here that otherwise are poised to be struck down? Well, you know, that's a good question. And I think we're, we go back and forth on that until we have actual the Equal Rights Amendment where regardless of your gender identity, you're equal human, that we're constantly going to be battling these situations. So right now we're getting a lot of pressure to um, get rid of the filibuster, and that's supposedly going to pass, like, our reproductive freedom, you know, as a separate congressional act, which, you know, we all know, has no hope so it's it's still rhetoric it's a lot of rhetoric and it's not changing and what we're still dealing with is that state by state we're going to have oppression that's going to be a constant thing like a parental um permission or a probe or six weeks or 10 weeks you know we're going to constantly go through all these local um propositions and let's not kid ourselves these are funded by massive we're not talking million or billion dollars we're talking trillion dollar massive ancient institutions the catholic church these are these are institutions that that were 
that existed long before we were born and will continue after we're, we're dead. They are the ones that are funding this state-by-state, locality, locality, counties, little local areas are getting huge amounts of money to create pressure on young women who are trying to just be healthy and live their lives. It's really, it's not easy to analyze this from a philosophical perspective from out there, you know, from the, you know, top down without realizing, hey, we're really dealing with an individual human choice. These are real living human beings who are being affected. But these massive institutions are using these Machiavellian tactics with, with huge amounts of money to create this uh, gender-based um, division. And we see it in Afghanistan right now. Like the um, Taliban just recently, you know, said, okay, you have to have a full-on, not just hijab, but like the full-on burqa. Like 12 and over, you're too old for school. And they're telling women, oh, you can't go outside unless there's an important work reason. So we're really living in a world where these, these are just tricks to divide human beings. These are tricks by institutions, corporations, which include huge religious organizations, to divide human beings. And we're all, we, we're all friends. Like, we're all, you know, regardless of our gender, you know, we all hang out. Like, I hang out with so many people of different genders. We're all friends. These are tricks that are meant to divide people so that they can control us. And I think that men and women together, all genders, all people can stick together here and just say, hey, let's just take this out of the, you know, the trickery that is being fed to us and just realize, hey, let's have the Equal Rights Amendment, let's pass the Equal Rights Amendment, and then we don't have to worry about this anymore. Thank you for that. And thank you for that reminder, because we're here, you know, at Mutiny Radio and Diamond Dave here has has something he wants to to throw in there. But I think that that you made an important point about community, about friendships, about the fact that most people just want to get along and, and, uh, you know, go about their lives and not mess with other people's lives. Um, But we have, of course, up against, as seemingly always, these giant institutional, um, you know, uh, entities. There you go, Dave. Yeah, what, and it's what's... like tyranny of the majority, right? Like we're 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 letting them use democracy against us. Where like, yeah, you know, if I never thought about it, like I might think like, oh yeah, abortion, that's sad. I don't want that. But you know, everyone has an individual life, and there are people who have very complicated situations, and it really isn't for for everyone to decide how an individual should handle their medical and parenting choices. So I I really think that we, you know, not just the ERA, but also we could look to locally where, all right, well, well, there's the federal level. The Constitution has to change. We have to have equal rights for women. And then from there, we can work all the rest out, including the abortion issue. 
Um, but, you know, even locally, we could look at why does the AMA, why do our each state-by-state state, um, medical associations allow gynecologists and um, obstetricians to practice if they aren't going to do the industry standard life-saving practices. So if someone comes in and they, they, they will die unless they get an abortion right now, and that person says, oh, I have a religious reason why I'm not going to do that, well, the patient should know in advance, hey, I'm going to interact with a doctor who will let me die because of their religious reasons. So I think that we, we need to really, you know, call to task our medical associations state by state as well as the AMA and say, well, what are you doing about this? Like, why are you allowing people to call themselves obstetricians and gynecologists when they're not willing to, to do the basic life-saving practice that is the industry normal thing to do. Uh, you know, I think that we, you know, we have a lot of work that we could do to actually go on offensive ourselves. We've been on the defensive for so long, and we're going to see that even more now because with Roe v. Wade, you know, that was kind of a federal law or, you know, decision that affected all the states and then kind of the reaction to that is that it's not that it's gone it just says oh it's up to state by state to decide like how are you gonna handle it right so, so it's i mean that's what we saw with um multi-pronged with, um, yeah well and with um the jim crow laws were similar where they're or eight but well state by state county by county they'll make racist rules Right. Um, you can't play checkers in the park, whatever it is. So those rules, state by state, are what we're looking to in the future to happen to our, you know, so our I, reproductive health care. So, um, so I think you, you addressed a lot of different ways that there, you know, there's still hope, of course, I, and there's just different different ways and different concentrations of of action that we need to take. And Dave, you you wanted to jump in? Yeah, I do. I'm jumping in. Mona Lisa. Right now, we have my brother to my left, Shahid. Well, I'm to his right. Well, anyway, we're I'm running on the red, the green, and the the black. Who's running? Uh, running against Nancy Pelosi, and really needs more support from the grassroots. Uh, Shahid, so introduce yourself a bit. Here's our candidate. You, Mona Lisa. I, I was just on the point you were just raising about the state by state. I just want to go back to that suggestion about going on the offensive. For blue yeah. states at the moment to be proposing affirmative boycotts of red states would be an escalation from the direct action that we've seen this week, and it would offer a target for the movement to basically intimidate the court. The court doesn't respond to grassroots mobilization, but Washington institutionally responds to threats to capital. If we threaten commerce by making clear that blue states will boycott red states if Roe falls. That, to me, offers an opportunity between now and whenever the opinion is formally issued to potentially change it. And, you know, I offer that as an attempt to, to do more than merely uh, protest, because at the moment we are, you know, to your point, we're all getting steamrolled. All of the rights are getting steamrolled. And Roe is just the beginning, right? I helped establish Oberfell 20 years ago. And they're coming for marriage equality next. And if we don't institutionally restrain the court, 
everything that we rely on from women's rights to the right to marry, the right to vote, racial you know, anti-discrimination laws, all of it is going to get unwound unless we restrain the court. And I, I just wonder, you know, to what extent you see that as a viable opportunity for the movement. Well, you know, boycott, girl taught, you know, however you call it, like it's, it's hard. Like I, you know, with the boycott divest with, um, um, Israel, you know, I, you know, I've like struggled with how, how do I really see that? Like, sanctions that we do nation by nation like oh sanctions how you know that how it affects individual small business owners how it affects people how do you actually accomplish that like you know i'm still you know for me it's still a moving target to figure out how to do that but you know along with what you're suggesting uh, you know i've i've like been saying like of course it didn't it has not taken off or gone viral or whatever i'm like okay hashtag feminine exit like i honestly feel like why would anyone if they can in any way move and depart from an obviously disrespectful of your human rights state you can call it a red state but you know disrespectful place if there's a way to leave and i i feel like there's going to be a mass exodus that that feminists of any gender are going to depart from these places that are governed by bullies. Yeah, and we actually have someone in the studio now, Mona Lisa, who is um, from, uh, well, she can come introduce herself and and talk about maybe Dave's microphone. She's out there. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Hi. All right. So. Hi. <laughs> so tell tell us a little bit, uh, Sadie, um, what your take is on on some of these issues. Okay. So I'm from Texas, and there's just a lot going on with with that. And I'm at the point where I don't want to live in Texas. It's not. There's no reason for me. There's no pull. There's nothing keeping me. Um, a lot of young people, they're feeling threatened by these things. They're very emotional. Um, and it, it's at the point where it's like, what, at what line is my safety and my boundaries going to be crossed um, in those spaces? Um, so yeah, it's just scary. <laughs> and do you see, I mean, and I mean, yes, I, I totally hear what you're saying, right? It, um, and I, I guess, you know, being here in the San Francisco bubble, right, it's hard to break it, break out of that. But do you think that the solution that a lot of young people like yourself are are seeing is that it w- we should just leave? No. Or, or is there a way or what else is going on kind of on that, you know, sort so of grassroots level to. That's another thing is that people have the idea that, oh, these states are just red and all the all the people who are actually voting blue, it's split right in half it's not they're not all red and so a whole lot of these states they're just being left behind they're just throwing them out with the the baby the in the baby bath in the bathwater <laughs> yeah. and it's, it's so to speak so to speak and it's like no they're actually doing a whole lot of legwork and they're they're really trying um it's just 
the laws and everything is so far against them that they have to push back even harder. And it's just, it feels like a helpless case, but it's not. There's actual people out there being affected. Just like Mona Lisa was saying, There, it's real people. It's case by case basis. And we're just not being represented like truthfully. Mm-hmm. And and thank you, thank you for speaking on that and like sharing that that truth and that perspective because I I think it is a, a good reminder right when we talk about red states and blue states right it's not all red it's not all blue yeah the 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 scales may fall over that fifty one percent mark right but at the same time there's so many people across this country and cities and states across the country right we're we're and the media has a big part to play in this as well, Cre- creating this polarization, these divisions, these, you know, us versus them, black and white, you know, up is down, down is down is up. Right. So, so yeah, go ahead. What's your thought about that? Um, in 2021, Texas had a statewide um, energy crisis due to a freeze and a lot of the Twitter um conversation was like oh well you know it's texas haha um but it's like no there's actual people down there suffering Mm -hmm. people died in a two-day freeze because we didn't have the infrastructure we didn't have people coming to help us um and it really took those communities coming together and keeping each other safe Mm -hmm. and 